I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. Album Lyndon Johnson's Lonely Hearts Club Band, The Artists, Earl Dowd, and Alan Robin. This, this, this year, I almost said, this week, my guest is Colleen Fisher. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you for having me. Sure. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I, I found, so you, you're a journalist. I found, uh, an article you wrote about listening to vinyl comedy and I will be honest, uh, most of my guests, um, don't, or that is to say most people I ask who are roughly your age have never really listened to a comedy album on vinyl. So I want to know how you got into it, why you decided it was an important enough to write about, and then we'll get into the record itself. Okay, so, um, you said my age, I'm 21, just mm-hmm. for your listeners, and I work for my college paper, but I bought a record player, or I used my, I got my aunt's record player when I was, uh, in high school, and then I replaced it recently, this is all not relevant, but I was <laughs> at a record store, and, um, I came across Actually, I think this is probably one of the first albums I bought that was comedy because I was just flipping through and it was an interesting cover and I listened to it and I thought it was great. And then uh, shortly after, I found Van Meter's uh, first family album. Oh my gosh. And then I just kept looking for them when I showed up at record stores and Mm -hmm. I thought they were great. And I decided we needed something to run for the scene portion and I was... Uh, texting the editor and I just wrote it really quickly because mm-hmm. um, something didn't come together and I thought it would be interesting and great and so I did that. Well I'm glad you did because not a lot of people are writing about it and it's very it's funny even when uh, like a, a big story breaks on this podcast every time anything is new it's hard to convince people that that is story worthy even though we've we've discovered quite a few things on this show I think I think we've gotten we got one or two things covered by like online media, but people don't really care about comedy records on vinyl. Um, so I love that you inherited like a record player and we're like, let me put this thing to use. Um, and so for those who don't know, I'm going to put it up. Uh, well, you're not gonna be able to see it, but you've seen it. Uh, it is, it is a, as you can imagine, a parody of the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, but it is like the record, a bunch of chopped up images of an actual band, but with, every not every political person on the album but a lot of different political figures pasted on um and the i mean you know these these guys uh these guys made these kinds of records for years um so what was your perspective because honestly i think when i first picked this up i knew very little about lbj and still know just just enough um (laughs) what was your perspective on lbj and the whole the whole contents of this record so um you said 67. When when did it come out? 67, 67, apparently, yeah. Oh, that's a little bit earlier than I thought when listening to it. But mm-hmm. I um, I guess that makes sense because, like, Bobby Kennedy is on that record and he dies in 68. Mm-hmm. But I'm a history major and a 60s buff. So, okay. like, 64 to 78, you can ask me most things and I can figure it out. And I... When I picked that record up, I was at like the height of like my Kennedy obsession. And so I could, there's a couple Bobby Kennedy speeches. Um, Jack Kennedy is pretty contextually dead by that time the record was made. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was fun because I listened to, so what it does, the record cuts up interviews and speeches with politicians and takes them out of context. Mm-hmm. And I, found it fascinating because first of all um i if i'm coming from a journalist background i never thought that that would fly mm-hmm. um obviously like people do <clears throat> it but in like not a professional matter right and so i was shocked that it flew in the 60s especially because of how much slack like van meter's album got mm-hmm considering like that being played over the radio and how like sensitive they were to that, that that would fly coming from the historical um, context. And then also I thought it was hysterical because um, if you think about some of the speeches, they're taken so out of context. So 
uh, like for one of the references that he makes to Bobby Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy says like, so we, we spent this much money on comic books last year <laughs> and yeah. yeah, they context it with his large family. He had a lot of children sure. and uh, that speech was about poverty in America. So the original it, taking it out of such a dark context uh-huh. yeah. of like the, Mississippi Delta speech that he was giving and putting it in uh, a context that was so comical, like mocking his Irish Catholic family. I ate it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there are. Okay. So it's a relatively short record. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> we've got an interview with Senator Everett Dirksen. Could not tell you who that is. Lyndon B. Me Johnson, <laughs> Governor Reagan, Senator Bobby Kennedy. VP Hubert Humphrey, later Bruce Johnson, uh, Nixon again, and then, uh, oh, we know he had not been on there again uh, yet, uh, VP Nixon, and then Barry Goldwater. Uh, just for, uh, again, a little bit of context. All, let's see, I need to look up, um, yeah, and I think the only interviews were done by a couple of, uh, it was just Earl Down, Alan Robin, and a couple other gentlemen in it. Um, Boy, oh boy. I, I love that you, again, you knew exactly what speech that was being pulled from. So is this stuff immediately evident to you? Because, again, this is built for somebody like you, not me. <laughs> um, not all of them, obviously. Like, I couldn't tell you. What was the first guy's name? Uh, Everett Dick, Dirksen. Dirksen? Yeah, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you. Um, that one I could just because it's, I think it's been a while, but I think that speech is, it's of course available on YouTube and it's a response to a question when he is running for Senator, I think is mm-hmm. what that is. So I just had seen the clip. Um, and then I don't listen to a lot of Nixon talking cause it <laughs> makes me angry. Uh-huh. So I couldn't tell you what those clips are from, <laughs> but um, Kennedy was easy. I think the rest of them are just fun to, make fun of um and him i yeah that's fair so no, no i couldn't contextualize <laughs> i couldn't contextualize it all but yeah. uh, i could do that one and a couple of the other ones i could pick up again it's more than i could it, it, there was there's a point where in the first track because i didn't know who dirksen was and therefore what he sounded like the edits were cleaner than I expected them because normally you expect later on they kind of cut off more. So I was like, yeah. "Are they just doing an impression and passing it off as a fake interview?" <laughs> kind of cut apart. And then no, clearly that's not the case later on. It's one of those things where a lot of people will bring in an album. Again, it's usually from their own childhood where it's like, "This is from a time. This is a different time. This made a lot of sense then. It was it was very funny then." Let's talk a little bit then about. Let's skip back to the first family because that was kind of. I mean, not only were all these people involved in, there's a lot of, uh, very incestual who was involved in all these, the first family ripoffs and then the other political things like this. Um, What was your perception of the first family when you first heard it? Like how, like what about it resonated with you? Oh, I think it, I think it's a great impression. There's Mm -hmm. a talk about how impressions don't need to be exact you don't have to look exactly like them and speak exactly like them you need to get like the persona i don't know who talks about that but there's an impressionist who talks i think it's bill Hader who talks about it all the time now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i think that van meter nails it Mm -hmm. um there's like that clip i forget what late night show he's on but he's like doing the hand motions and he's like Mm -hmm. there's somebody out here imitating me and he's using my and it's just great Mm -hmm. so but i thought so like to put that in context with this album, which they, of course, exist within context, I think that this album's cleverer and because I would never be able to listen to political speech, take something, cut it, and then make a joke from it. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that like, that takes a intense amount of, like, forethought and just thought in the way that when Van Meter made The First Family, he had this impression sure. and... It was a little bit like, what can we make Kennedy say that is funny? And like, let's talk about rubber ducks, <laughs> which is grand. And I loved it. Of mm-hmm. course, I love that album. But yeah, I just, this one holds a different place in my heart. What's funny is I, I came at this album from a slightly different perspective as somebody who's cut something like this together um, <laughs> because I grew up loving that kind of, I think I probably first saw it. Have you ever seen Good Morning Vietnam? 
Yes. Oh, I love that movie. But there's a whole it's segment a where, and I don't know if the original actual Adrian Cronauer actually did this, but the character played by Robin Williams cuts together interviews of Nixon, and he asks him to describe his testicles. They're soft, squi- soft squishing of no consequence, something to that effect. Very dumb. Um, and I think as a kid, once I had editing capabilities, even just with a cassette, I was like, oh, shit, I can finally do. And it becomes a, a way of thinking where I think my guess is Dowd and Robin heard these interviews and they're just they're just like, oh, no, there we go. That's a good punchline. And then they work backward from it. I'm guessing. I mean, that's how I do it. Yeah. Um, I know that like my friend and I interviewed a friend of mine. Did not tell him he was being recorded because we were being assholes. Again, my best friend. We're still, we recorded him and we did lead him into saying things, but you don't often have that opportunity with a politician. Uh, of course, that's, I guess, what The Daily Show ended up becoming a little bit, where they lead them into, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of questions. It's interesting watching the evolution because First Family is relatively gentle in terms of satire. It's barely satire, you know? Yeah, I, w- I was going to bring that up. It is very gentle, especially for like the time period it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to just history buff you at, but no, please, it's to good. Be, to, yeah, for coming out in 1967, you see like this partisanship in America that's similar to like what we're experiencing now with these figures like Nixon, these large central government features, um, and then these calls for socialist reforms in characters like Bobby Kennedy and later Senator. Goldwater, and so then you have like these two systems fighting out, and so putting out an album like this that mocks them both, mm-hmm. I think was an interesting thing to do. That's almost an act of unity. Like if if a comedian made a set, a stand up comedian made a set that mocked both the Democrats and Republicans equally, mm. I think I just like that holds a different place in my heart because sure. I think that it's just brilliant because now you get both people listening Mm -hmm. but also it's a sense of unity that's amazing and then as it like moves on so as time periods move on of course the 1968 like democratic convention has all these like riots and all this hardship and then it leads to like these changes in political standings but i think that like this album is reminiscent of a time right before then Mm -hmm. Like, right before everything goes to absolute crap. Like, it's getting there, yeah. but it's it's just, it's right on the edge. And I think, like, that's why, like, listening to albums that existed in that time and haven't been changed at all to fit any other time period mm-hmm. is interesting and important. Yeah. What's interesting, too, is, like, what this kind of builds to, I mean, obviously, as politics are building to... Nixon and what that means to the United yeah. States. I wrote a little bit about this before. Like I was forced to pick five records uh, that made fun of Nixon, but there are so many more than <laughs> so that. So many, and yeah. I've got I've got about a dozen of them, and I have not listened to them all because it is relatively the same joke over and over again. But it feels like rather than when the first family comes out. It's because it's the fastest selling album in history, comedy or otherwise. There are people, I want to say a month later already, have released five or six pair, like their own ideas based off of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Nixon one, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or how you feel about it, the Nixon one feels like, oh no, this is imperative. We have to make fun of this guy so that people um, continue to remember what a piece of shit he is. Yes, exactly. Right? And so when I, because this is, I wasn't old enough to vote in this election sure. um, that happened. And so in, I'm also a political science major. And so like it kind of felt like stuff was happening to me at that point. Of like course. I had no like political power. So moving into the comfort of 1967, 1968, which was a similar situation and comparative. And mm-hmm. you can read and read articles and articles and articles comparing the elections. Mm-hmm. Was a source of comfort because, of course... It ends with Nixon getting impeached. Yes, so. right, right. It's so satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah, no, agreed. It's one of those things where when I was first digging into it, that's what I guess made me feel hopeful. And I, I, I think I mm-hmm. first started talking about it on, I think I did a video on it on my YouTube. Um, and I was like, just trying to, I don't know how subtle I was being about it, but I was just like, hey, this is important to do. Hey, this is, you know how they're making these records then. And, you know, it's not like, there's also the whole thing. It's like, 
comedy is not never going to change the world, but at the very least, it is there to hammer at you and remind you it's okay to make fun of these people. It's okay to even hate them. Uh, it's okay to question them, and that was the big thing. Like, it's it's just weird. The, it, it's interesting that we've got you know everybody talks about the loss of innocence being JFK being assassinated, mm -hmm. but it is this gradual loss of innocence from there to holy shit, we we have openly now seen that a president <clears throat> that a president stole the election and did it in the most criminal way possible. Like it just it's <laughs> such a quick expansion of distrust. Um, and I don't, I don't know what that's attributable to. Um, I, maybe you have some thoughts on it. But again, comedy catches up. It's at this relatively the same speed. Well, I think... Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think... Well, watching people make fun of Trump, for me, isn't very satisfying. Mm -hmm. Because I just listen to it, and then at the end, I'm angry. I don't get any, like, therapy from it. There's no yeah. release. Um and of course, like no offense to people who agree with him, but <laughs> I don't get any release from it. And um, listening to people make fun of Nixon, I get that release because like what I was talking about with, you know, it's going to happen to him and it's not happening to you. Yeah. Um, like v Vietnam didn't happen to me. Right. It's a big issue, but he, he's not sending me or anyone else to war um, in the same way that when they made fun of Nixon, it was so prevalent and important to them to be doing so. And so it, it puts a certain amount of distance. Time gives people distance and time to heal, even if you weren't there, which sure. I think, yeah. What, um, I guess I didn't ask this, uh, what first got you so interested in the time period you're concentrating on that's most interesting to you? What sucked you in? Maybe one thing, maybe a ton of things, I don't know. Oh, uh, I don't know. <clears throat> well, I think, um, well, in high school and grade school, there's this focus on World War II, especially for, like, young boys. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved on to college, like, in high school, I was, like, starting, getting interested in it. And then when I moved on to college, I'm now at an all-girls school, mm -hmm. um, St. Mary's. And, um... So, like, that disappeared. This obsession with World War II just disappeared. Like, we barely touch on World War II okay, in our yeah. history classes. Um, and instead, it became focused... You you become more focused with, like, conniving ideas of power. Mm -hmm. When you're in an all-girls school, like, how to navigate power in a way that's interesting. And so, the 60s is full of that. So, like, for example, you brought up the Nixon thing. Mm -hmm. um, how Nixon stole election flat out and did that which is insane and he got tried and that's what happened but there's a lot of controversy over the 1960 election of kennedy because yeah. his dad reportedly bought chicago mm -hmm. with mayor daly and so there's this like back and forth of public displays of ignoring the constitution and private displays of ignoring the constitution and how yeah. you play into them and i just think that's fascinating and of course the switch from political systems from uh, in primaries oh right <clears throat> no I, mm -hmm. I can see that that makes sense wow yeah no i mean i i, I that is a very good point it, it it also again it's something that i i think of a lot in terms of kennedy where i uh, mm -hmm. i am willfully ignorant a lot of the times because i know all this shit he did or roughly <laughs> you know but yeah who the fuck isn't charmed by him and who the fuck isn't charmed <laughs> by von meter pretending to be him um, yeah. Now, Von Meter's charm is a separate story altogether. I don't know if you heard my interview with his widow. Um, oh, I got a different perspective on Von Meter. Uh, worth listening to. Um, I uh, hope she doesn't. I don't know that I like Von Meter as a person anymore. However, find him fascinating. Yeah, um, it is really fascinating. Who boy. I mean, you know, his life fell apart because of JFK mm -hmm. being. Uh, and the, the quote that is, again, I, I think I might get it wrong every time, but Lenny Bruce came on stage that the night that JFK was assassinated said, yeah. well, Vaughn Meter's fucked, um, which is one of the funniest, darkest jokes I've ever heard. Um, but apparently it was, it was true, though. Apparently it was true. He lost everything for a while. Yeah, another comedic genius. Because I'm also... So, like, my two obsessions that mm -hmm. coexist are the Kennedy, the Kennedys and the, and the Beats. So, um, oh, Lenny right. Bruce is another one of my 
peak obsessions. But. I, I can understand that. Have you seen, yeah. this is a totally uh, historically inaccurate accurate show, but very pretty. Have you seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Oh, yes. Historically inaccurate. Woof. And comedically <laughs> historically inaccurate, too. There's so exactly. much to just, that's thrown out the window. But I love how it looks. I know, it looks beautiful, and I love her um, sure. as a young girl who talks a lot. Sure, you know, her. hey, you know, you yeah. got you to see yourself reflected somewhere. It's good that that's happening, right? Um, yeah, but I think I was I was once on a date and mm-hmm. I was monologuing, and uh, the boy, the poor boy, stopped me and goes, "Have you ever seen the marvelous Mrs. Maisel?" <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> it was, yeah, it. Well, there wasn't another date after that. That's really <laughs> but, funny. <laughs> it was tragic. But, um, yeah, I love that show. And I think, well, I have problems with that show, not just because Lenny Bruce uh-huh. or the jokes. But I think when they included Lenny Bruce, they should have included everybody else who was there. I mean, they might as well like, have, yeah. Yeah, why not? Like, just put her into the story and include, like, um, oh, I have a friend who... What? She's a really famous comedian. Who is the female comedian who was working? Joan. Joan Rivers. Was it Joan Rivers? Yeah, that mm-hmm. was working in New York at that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's basically kind of roughly what Mrs. Maisel's based off of her and Phyllis yeah. Diller a little bit too. Sure. And then there's that in the new season they have that bassist who's based on a real person, but then they didn't name her. Oh, and she got pissed. She got pissed about it. She should get pissed. Yeah, because they, they like took a story and they have like that artist who they like gave the characteristics of like a Kerouacian character, like mm-hmm. the standing on the bars and pointing. And I'm like, just make him Jack Kerouac. Yeah, why not? It bothers me, but whatever. <laughs> no, that's fair. You know, one of my mentors was a beat author uh, who nobody's ever heard of. His name was Fielding Dawson. But uh, it's kind of crazy too when like I will watch that show and names of people he knew and mentioned are brought up but again like you say it's like they are in passing like there's a Mm -hmm. there's a her and oh what's his name chuck the guy who played chuck he uh fuck what's his name whatever the really handsome guy that she's oh i know who you're talking about yeah and they go through a bar and he's like oh my god that's franz klein and then they just walk out the door (laughs) they don't explain who franz klein is i barely know and still he was a friend of a friend you know and it's it's weird to have these historical bits and pieces in passing and then and also like she's got somebody bootlegs her album in at the end of season one not really a thing that happened with comedy records almost ever i'm not saying it never happened but rarely are Mm. there i have one of the few ever on my wall right now um and i don't know that they happened that early on i i've been i want to ask my friends i have some friends who have like seven thousand comedy records and you just want to be like what weird shit do you have in there um, Do they but listen yeah. to all of them? That's what I want to know. I've got 700 and I've only heard about 150 of them. And I don't know if I'll ever get through them. And I have like 100 records, period. And I haven't listened to all of them. I would never have listened to this if you hadn't asked me to. If you hadn't said, let's talk about that, I don't know that I would have gotten around to it. You know? I think... Um, yeah, it, it's crazy. And I... Like, now I don't dig through the comedy bin as much as I should. I've been keeping an eye open for, I want to find spoken word poetry on records, but it's not happening. But, um, yeah, I think, like, that first album, like, buying LBJ's Lonely Hot Club Band, which is interesting in itself because of the title and the Mm -hmm. reference, but I'm putting it on and hearing voices that were never meant to have a person so like i have i have john mulaney albums and on record on vinyl and Penn and oswald on vinyl Mm -hmm. and they're wonderful but like i've seen john mulaney live which i'm bummed that he i'm such a hipster about him (laughs) he's the i try so hard not to be a gatekeeper but i'm so mad because i paid like 30 (laughs) dollars And now everybody loves him, <laughs> and I'm never gonna get to see him again. <laughs> but it's fine. Um, but I'm so sad about it. I I was teasing someone because I watched Mulaney, mm-hmm. and I was so young that I hadn't seen Seinfeld. Oh, okay. This is, you're you're gonna be very disappointed in me. And so I watched Mulaney thinking it was original, and I was uh. like, how could you ever cancel this? <laughs> And of course, it was canceled for very good reason because it was. Uh, he's great, but that sure. show wasn't. Um, 
Yeah, no. I never saw it. Yeah. So was it essentially Seinfeldy? Yeah. yeah, it was pretty much the same. He would end. I consciously remember bringing out my like flip phone and texting my best friend about it because we were following his career in SNL. Okay. And um, he would do like a sitcom thing, usually straight off of his first set of stand-ups. Like the prostate exam was an episode. Mm-hmm. And then it would end with him doing stand-up, like Seinfeld. Okay. On the set, they would dock in the set and then he would do stand-up. And I thought it was genius, which sure. it was. It just wasn't his idea. Um, but That's so funny. I had no I Honestly, because I've never seen it, I had no idea. And uh, you will not upset me. I don't really care for Seinfeld. But uh, oh. I, I did when it was out. I was, you know, <clears throat> I saw it was when it was originally on. That and Friends, I liked at the time. I could not care for either of them less. Um, so don't worry <laughs> about it. You're not going to offend me. News Radio is my show. Uh, that is a great show. Brilliant show. Everybody should watch that show. <laughs> want to okay, talk about a politically aware show. What was I going to say? something before I get digressed. Oh, those comedy albums. So when you see John Mulaney live, he's aware of his presence. He's in a suit and he, sure. like, there's jokes where, like, he'll flip the cord and, like, <laughs> he'll, like, make eye contact or, like, look over his shoulder or mm-hmm. take a drink of water. He's aware that you're watching him. Sure. So when you listen to him on vinyl, it's a different experience, but you feel like you're missing that. You feel like you're missing seeing them. Okay. When you listen to albums like LBJ, Lonely Hot Club Band, you know that it was meant for this experience. Mm-hmm. It was meant for you to sit in a room with like a coffee or whatever and listen to it. And it wouldn't exist in a visual experience. And yeah. I grew up with only visual comedy, sure. only like slapstick original comedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, visual comedy. So having a completely auditory experience that was reliant on it being auditory was a new experience. I like one that. that was old but new for me, and I enjoyed that. Well, you're bringing up first of all that's amazing because I love that you know this is this is you know such a new thing for you. That's great. That is mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, <laughs> the thing about this album that hurt my brain was why the hell do they have an audience? They have pictured the audience <laughs> on the back, and I was like, is this yeah. all canned? I can't tell if it's canned, but these people seem to be enjoying the shit out of the show. Holy Probably God. money, right? Right. They, they got pay for tickets there. yeah right i i, I really want to know if somebody told me hey come see a comedy show i my first question is okay maybe what's it about and if they said oh <laughs> a bunch of people are going to talk to a tape recorder you'd be like i'm good thank you so much uh have a great day uh but maybe at the time <laughs> maybe at the time they're like hey this, this is going to be the next first family that could that's all i can mm. think is this is the next first family guys come on join on in uh boy oh boy yeah I, probably, it was probably something like that, right? Mm -hmm. I also think that being there must have taken away from the experience because all of the mystery is gone. That's what I would think. You can't picture it. Mm -mm. Is there times where, when I put this album on, I also have a collection of historical albums and I got it from a bin that was just like non-music albums. Okay. And I picked it up and I... It was cute in that it was a comedy album by the cover, of course, but not enough that when I put it on, I did second think, is this real? And it took me through the first interview to be like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that having that on stage just would take you away from it. I don't, I don't even understand why you would laugh. I don't know why it would be funny. Right, right. It's like, it's yeah. interesting. And again, I, I think it, it tracks so much for you because you know some context too, but it does not, none of these feel like belly laugh moments, at, even at the funniest <laughs> moments. There, I mean, there's a bit where they cut Richard Nixon in, they, they say, hey, we hear you, Mr. Nixon, we hear you do a wonderful impression of uh, Mr. Eisenhower. Can we hear it? <laughs> and it is just him, it is him fumfering over and over again, which is, and the gag is good. <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. Even if I don't know if that was Eisenhower's deal, I get it. I get what you're doing. Yeah. But the audience is like eating it up. And I'm like, is it that funny? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Like, I mean, are, do you laugh Last out loud night. listening to this record at all? Or is it just like, oh, I get it. Um, Bo Bonham has that joke that if you watch this alone, hopefully you've like snuffed through your nose once or twice. <laughs> right. I've only ever listened to comedy albums alone, so I don't think okay. I've laughed out loud at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for comedy albums, but 
I I probably like sighed and giggled mm-hmm. a couple times I listened. Um, I, I'm trying to think of albums that really gen- genuinely make me laugh out loud. The one that was sitting on here that I talked with somebody a few weeks ago, which was a Smothers Brothers album. I think that does make me laugh out loud genuinely. The Smothers yeah. Brothers are brilliant. Um, and I mean, if you want to That's talk about point. political comedy, eventually that shit gets real political. To the point mm-hmm. where, they, where they get canned, um, but uh, you know that stuff's fascinating. Uh, but it, it is rare, same thing, rare that I listen to something and laugh out loud if I'm on my own. I miss, I misspoke. I did laugh out loud at um, the Nichols and May album. Oh, I, I was gifted two different copies of that. Two different Which one? friends. The one, the doctor one. Oh wow. Okay. Good. All right. Yeah, two f- different friends went to record stores over the summer mm-hmm. and brought them to me in the I winter. And so I have two copies of that. I haven't had the heart to give either way. Of course. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, that one's funny. They're funny. They're and, geniuses. And having the representation of a woman helps. I laugh yeah. at them. Big yeah. time. Well, I've been doing trying to do a breakdown of my own collection where I because I'm going to start doing some more videos where I talk about a certain chunk of my collection and I'm like I have to do black artists I have to do female artists and like going through I'm like fuck I'm part of the fucking problem because I buy so many white dude records and I acknowledge it but that is uh, mm-hmm. that is not a solution to the problem so at the very least I'm going to be digging these out and like but yeah it, that's one where it's man and a woman you know uh, not not yeah. as many standalone uh, you know female albums also that people even pay attention to i've got a few rare ones that no i've never heard of that nobody's ever heard of they might not yeah be i don't think i have great, one yeah see that's just it like i would Mm-mm. joan rivers is a good one to start with holy shit i like if you want to now she's fucking mean but, but but i mean that's her deal that's that's always been her style phyllis diller also so good rusty yeah. warren if you've never heard rusty warren she is a friend of mine she's like 92 93 now uh brilliant brilliant woman um, she's worth listening to. Um, yeah, those are all, yeah, I don't know. Uh, not, poli- not particularly political, but yeah, there, it's, it's worth looking those up, those, those particular ladies up. And then, you know, uh, by the way, anybody listening, who's got a, uh, a female comic we've never com- covered on the show, please email me. Do that. Jason mm-hmm. at comedy on vinyl.com. I would love to hear more. Um, yeah, th- this album is very goofy. It's, it's fun. How much did I pay for it? $4. Okay. Well, all right. I, I can't tell if it was worth it or not. Maybe. It was fun listening to. It was fun knowing that I was going to talk to somebody who knows some shit. Um, have <laughs> I you, don't know if I know some shit. You know more shit than I do. Uh, do you <laughs> have any others that are of this vein in your collection? Other political comedy records? Or is this the only... Other than the first family? Uh, I think that's about it. I don't mm-hmm. have any... I don't seek them out. If I find them, I'll look at them. I almost bought... What was the first family? They, did they make one about Reagan? Yes, the first family rides again where Rich Little plays yeah. Ronald Reagan. Vaughn Meter's on that, too, briefly. Yeah, I thought about buying that one. I don't have very many historical comedy albums. I should mm-hmm. look more into them. I, um, yeah, I just don't. Well, I mean, a lot of them, think. a lot of them are like the first family, though. Like, there are a mm-hmm. few that are, again, other than the Nixon one. A lot of them are kind not cash grabs. I don't want to. I don't want to treat them all as that they're super cynical. But um, you know, a lot of them are very similar. The Reagan ones. That's another boost. All of a sudden, there's a shitload of Reagan records. I've got a few of those too. Not as many Nixons. But you know, you know, they're worth sampling. I have not heard that one though. I do need to listen to that. I have it. I'm obsessed with the First Family. Why would I not listen to it? But I think. Well, I listened to your. Pot, your podcast about the first family oh yeah 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 we're another yeah. person way younger than me schools the hell out of me on history it was great i loved that so much <laughs> yes it happens to the best of us <laughs> i um think that that album was genius in a way that whenever anybody else tries to do it it's automatically gonna not be worth it mm-hmm. um so I liked that this one tried something else. Like, yeah. I know that it was, it's not new. Like, everybody's thought about doing this, and obviously you did it as a kid. But I like that it wasn't an album of impressions. Because yeah. the, I feel like the first family did that, and it did it brilliantly. I, um, But yeah, and I was thinking about this because I was, I studied abroad in D.C. this semester, and I actively thought about 
saying this on the podcast, but I was walking past the White House and a uh, man was doing this bit. He The bit was he would scream something that made no sense and then he would play Donald Trump out of context. So he was like doing like the same format and I was like, that's so interesting because wow. I just wouldn't like think of it working in this time period and i didn't even giggle at what he was saying because he was just making like obscene jokes but i think that um i just i felt so when i listened to it it felt so derivative of the time period Mm -hmm. because it relies on this respect for politicians Mm -hmm. like the respect that the kennedys got like that's why van meters i feel like why van meters album worked so well is because no one would do it like no one understood that that was socially acceptable and then it sold right and i think that that's like so interesting and van meter does it with class always yeah um every time he did that impression he did it with class and i think that as time moved on um impressions and taking politicians out of context and mocking politicians became ruthless and so i don't necessarily think that that's a good thing like i think we should make fun of politicians but i don't want to sit and listen to you just bash a politician right Um, it's just i'm like then you run (laughs) i just like don't see the point and i think like that's the political science major in me Uh that i want comedians to not have respect for the politicians but not ruthlessly bash them i just don't think it's funny Mm -hmm. yeah no i mean from a comedic standpoint i get that there there is a point where it becomes uh you know uh a la don quixote tilting at windmills i mean that's kind of what (laughs) uh lenny bruce does later on in his career where he's like hey i'm gonna read court transcripts it's like lenny lenny come on come on bud come on just dial it back get to point where it's peak funny can be a little mean but peak funny yeah there is definitely a you have to dial it in in a certain way to, for it to still be funny and still technically be comedy because at some point it is just literally standing out front of the white house screaming yeah exactly like what finding that point is like why comedians make money yeah um and of course like when lenny bruce like reads those quote scripts it comes off as a little bitter I think, like, that's what comedians need to avoid. Like, I can't speak. I would never get up on a stage and Mm -hmm. do comedy. But if you come off as bitter, it's no longer funny. And I don't think, like, these people ever come off as bitter. They're never never even criticizing the politics really much. They're just Mm -hmm. cracking jokes. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also, you know, there's also the the argument is always, well, that, again, uh, to go back to Mel Brooks a little bit. um, Mm Mm-hmm. The thing about Mel Brooks is he's always said, you know, the, my goal is always if you're the best way to defeat Hitler was make him funny, make people laugh at him, not laugh at anything he did, but laugh at him. And um, it can't just be vitriol to do the way he does to put Hitler on ice, like literally somebody dancing around dressed as Hitler to make Hitler look like a fucking idiot. Like that's its own thing. And it does have its own its own place and its own element uh, in comedy where, yeah, I, I, you know, you make a very good point about the bitterness. I think there is a, a fine line to walk where, like you, John Mulaney, go back to John Mulaney. Everything he's ever, every joke he's ever made about a politician I don't like, I find hilarious. And I think it's his delivery. It's his, it's just his, his means of delivery. He's got this, I don't know, too casual. I, he's, he's very good. It's frustrating to watch how good he is. He, brilliant, right? And I think... Yeah. Well, like, going back to, like, my long-term relationship with John Mulaney, um, but I think that he did something that was kind of interesting because when I was in high school, it was me and another girl, and mm-hmm. no one else gave a crap about comedy. I don't okay. think another person in my high school watched SNL. And wow. I think, like, I think we would talk about comedy, and then everyone would just leave the room like i that's interesting it just wasn't a part of the conversation in our high school Mm -hmm. and so um like thank god like my taste in comedy is completely reliant on her taste in comedy (laughs) but i think like thank god that she was there because i don't think i would have 
done anything, I wouldn't have been interested in comedy. I wouldn't have taken a six-hour bus to Ohio to see John Mulaney. I wouldn't have done any of that without having, like, that one other person. And I think that, like, I remember when, like, Pete Davidson was just on SNL. Mm -hmm. Like, he was just getting on SNL, and he was 21 years old. And we were like, no, he was, like, 19, wasn't he? I think so. He was very young. Yeah, he was, like, 19. And we were sitting there, aw, shook. We were like, I don't understand how... Like, this happens. So, mm-hmm. it's just, I'm off topic. So no, off no, topic. It's, but, no, you're like, fine, please. It starts with, like, those little things that, like, get you into comedy. And John Mulaney, like, traced comedy and popularity for me. Because I would crack John Mulaney references and people would stare at me blind, dumb. <laughs> never heard a thing all the way up to my freshman year of college. And then suddenly, I look into, like, the main, like, room at college, and everybody has a John Mulaney sticker on their computer (laughs) in, like, a six-month time period. Wow. And then with John Mulaney came constant talk about stand-up comedy. Like, Mm. just constant. Like, if you look at Netflix, well, stand-up comedy is cheap to produce Mm -hmm. and gets a lot of views. Like, I I embroidered... (laughs) I was a camp counselor, and one of my friends had a pair of chacos that said she was happy on the back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love those. I want something on my chacos, but I'm not paying $75 to get them embroidered, and I can't pick the same thing as you. And she's like, well, pick something that makes you happy. And I was like, well, chocolate and John Mulaney. <laughs> <laughs> so my chacos have the name John Mulaney on the back of them. And no, no one asked me about it, but also no one understood. Like... <laughs> It was a joke for me, and yeah. that's it. It was a joke it. for me, and that's it, because no one understood. And then suddenly, I can bring up in a conversation, who's your favorite comedian? Mm-hmm. And people have answers. And yeah. I'm not mad about it. I love it. Sure. <laughs> it's interesting to, yeah, to go through life, uh, you know, especially, you know, I had a friend who definitely, there's no doubt, we both informed one another's sense of humor, and it's still mm-hmm. that way. We shared records. I mean, that is <clears throat> one difference because, you know, I have my mom's record player, so we shared records and we shared tapes. Like, we made friends over a Weird Al tape. Um, <laughs> so, I, it's, I don't know, I think it's critical um, to becoming somebody who loves comedy. There are a lot of people who sit in the room and try and figure it out on their own. That was also me. But then there are people mm-hmm. who you get to share it with somebody else and it becomes transcendental. It becomes a brand new social thing. Yeah, totally. And I love that yours was John Mulaney. But, I, you know, and you, you <laughs> have finally gotten that thing, though, that, you know, a, a lot of us get where it's like, I loved that person. God damn it. That was my person. How dare yeah. you also have my person? There are girls. There's girls on TikToks like putting on makeup to John Mulaney. And I'm like, people mocked me for loving John Mulaney. You don't get to do this. But of course they do. And like, good for him. Like, he's making bank. He's sure. being successful. Like, I shouldn't gatekeep, but. It's okay. It's a gentle gatekeeping. You're not being a jerk about yeah. it. You're just like, you're, you're a little bitter about it, but that's fine. That's I am. Okay. I'm completely bitter about it. I'm so bitter. I think that all those girls should be sat down and have to sit through Mulaney the TV show. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, that's so good. Hey, you know what? You paid your dues. You know, I know. You, watched, you watched the show. I now I kind of it. almost want to see that show. Now that now that you're telling me what it is, good I'm luck gonna... finding it. I think yeah. he's actively tried to hide it mm-hmm. off of every form. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, former guest of this show, Griffin Newman, worked was on that show briefly. I don't know if he was on it or like was almost on it trying to remember the situation he talks about it a bit on his own podcast um so the show has come i've talked to people about it before I definitely hurdle but i did not know that that was the format so now you've you've told me uh if so okay let's let's talk about your future in listening to political comedy are you going to oh. seek out more records like this or similar? i should i think um i i have like a list of records that i want mm-hmm. i think I prefer comedy records when they come to me. Okay. Um, which is funny, but I think, yeah, I just, I never know, like, where to look. And I guess, like, 
I don't talk to enough people now that are like informing comedy choices, especially in historical comedy, that I could like look up an album and then have the confidence in my sense of comedy to purchase that album mm-hmm. um, online for like $20. Right. But if it's in a bin and I come to it, it's a different experience because you feel like you found like this little piece of history. Absolutely. And I appreciate it more. Agreed. So I'll keep looking in the bins. And As you should. I'll keep flipping through copies of Van Meter's First Family because mm-hmm. they're always there. There's always, always. like three. Yep. Um, and then I'll maybe find something else. And um, Bill Cosby records at right. record stores. It's like right. Bill Cosby, Van Meter, mm-hmm. then maybe something else. Yeah, and that's people... not true. <laughs> I just got... Mm-hmm. I just got a uh, a Carlin record, so Ooh. I shouldn't say that. So I Wait, just got a comedy record. Um, I they're all pretty here, good. I have it on a PDF. It's the one with like a ticket, and it has a really long title. Oh, um, people are gonna hate I can, me for not remembering. It's not an evening with Wally Londo, is it? Is that- I think it is. I think okay. it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. There. I don't need to look it up on my <laughs> spreadsheet. That's great. No, I'm glad. I, uh, wow, that's good. I love that you're delving into your first Carlin, and it's older Carlin. Cause, um, yeah, it's old Carlin. Someone gave it to me. One of my aunt's great. friends. Yes, good. Gave that's how you get it. Gave me her record collection. Um, so good. Yeah, well, I think if I would concede the pressure to become a lawyer, mm-hmm. Like, First Amendment law is the most interesting law. And, of Mm -hmm. course, like, that's why comedy is so interesting to me or one of the, like, in an academic sense. Mm -hmm. Because of artists like Carlin and Lenny Bruce who um, were actively... I feel like Carlin, obviously, less so because he came later, but who were actively censored Mm -hmm. um, in a way that I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Like, that's insane. Just I know to me. we're only it's one of those weird yeah it's a weird moment in history that because I was born when I was born which is after all that shit happened it didn't seem possible even though listening to him talk <laughs> about the seven de- the seven words you can't say on television yeah. still seems rebellious when he's doing it in the record like I still was watching TV where people were finally being able to say shit or whatever but so you can't totally I mean, if it wasn't for him, I mean, they're they're legitimately like we, we would be we would be potentially more censored. Although we're going down a hill right now where it <laughs> might end that way anyway. But yeah, no, it's it's he's fascinating and definitely worth digging into. Also, uh, speaking of Lenny Bruce, had forgotten this. I interviewed a guy named Jeffrey Weissman who's very fascinating, very interesting. Um, he's in Back to the Future two and three. He replaced mm-hmm. uh, he played the new George McFly in a lot of makeup. He um, <laughs> he has a quick story about uh, Lenny Bruce because his mom used to his mom helped bail him out once, um, but then refused to um, ever let him ride in her car again because he swore swore in front of her child because he was in the car at the time, which I thought was <laughs> delightfully ironic. Um, yeah, it's really funny. Uh, that's that's a, there's that's some so pretty funny. good stuff in there. Uh, but yeah, no, I can see that. So so that's no, no pressure from my part. So is that what you're looking to do is become an, a, no. an attorney? No. Okay. But that's Absolutely the way the pressure not. is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, not like constant pressure, sure. but there's like a subtle, like okay. you're smart enough. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. Which is a br- humble brag that I shouldn't have said. But no, it's good. It's fine. I don't it. think <laughs> I would do that. I just think there's something about... I, okay, there's something beautiful about being a First Amendment t- attorney in a time of censorship. Absolutely. And I think that, like you said, censorship is happening, and it, and it's a different set, sort of censorship that I think sure. is very much entwined with civil rights of minorities. I think yeah. that people yeah. like censoring, um, like that type, it's just a different type of censorship that mm-hmm. I would find interesting, but... Um, it, I wouldn't be like fighting for like Fail and Hetty in the Ginsburg trial. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. It's just, I like keeping it as a romantic idea. That's fair. That is an actuality. No, absolutely. No, that's, that's no, completely fair. Completely fair. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I do love though that you're going to continue to bring comedy into your life. I mean, rarely does it leave somebody's life unless comedy's really (laughs) done something to them, but it's nice that you're actively bringing in vinyl comedy records um 
Do you do you ever buy based on the cover art? Because I will fully admit always. that I do that sometimes. Always. 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 Yes? Okay. Always. Well, like, because, like, what I was saying, I'm so oblivious to the history of comedy. Sure. Uh, especially after that time period. So if you follow, like, after 1960, I have no idea. Okay. And that's decades. And it's when... I think most stand-up comedy albums that you find in record stores, especially yeah. in the Midwest, where there's not this huge collection sure. coming in, come from. And so I usually buy on the cover, I have to say. Sometimes I buy on name recognition. I've picked up a couple um, George Collin records and then put them back down. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, yeah, most of the time. I think there's that, like, Steve... Isn't there that Steve Martin one with him in the bunny ears? Isn't that a record? Yeah, there's that's I think that's yeah that's Wild and Crazy Guy. I had to look. There's Wild and Crazy yeah. Guy. Let's Get Small is my particular favorite. That's one of the ones on the wall. Uh, I have a wall of about eleven records <laughs> up here, so I, I have to look because I'm like that's the different one, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I want that one. I think if I see that one next, I'll get it. It's a good one. Um, it's a good one. He gets yeah. weirdly not too dark. But when it gets dark, it's still goofy. It's a weird uh, combination of shit. And I think if you're used to him as old Steve Martin now, it might be a nice, delightful surprise to see who he was before that. That'll be kind of fun. That's yeah, kind of and I think, it, um, I think comedy records and stand-up for people I know as actors is mm-hmm. really interesting that I want to like look more into. Because, like sure, for example, yeah. like Joan Rivers has this long history of stand-up comedy. And... Mm-hmm. Being an incredible stand-up comedian in a time where there weren't a lot of female stand-up comedians. And I think, but all I see her as is, like, this old Mm -hmm. woman. She she was, like, the fashion police. Was she not? Yeah, 100%. No, that was what her deal was. All I see her as is, like, Uh making fun of what people wear. And Uh growing up in, like, a time where, like, bullying was bad, I was like, that girl's so mean. Yeah, right. So... (laughs) I think, like, knowing where that comes from is something I need to fill in. I need to fill in a lot of my knowledge of comedy in general. Her two albums are only, like, 20 years apart, and it's interesting because the first one is her getting ready to be pretty famous, and then the other one is she's world famous, she's Joan Rivers, she can say whatever the fuck she wants. So, like, it's interesting to listen to both of her records side by side because, yeah, it's fascinating. And I... I love, like, following comedians. Like, that's something interesting to come back to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be monocentric with these ideas. I like when comedians get to that point where they can say whatever they want. Like, mm-hmm. they aren't worried about it. Um, like, because, like, now John Mulaney can get on stage and say whatever he wants. His stand-up specials can be... He can make us a, a special with children and... Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people will watch it on Christmas Day. Uh-huh. And I uh-huh. think that, like, that type of power is super interesting, that type of creative power. It leads to some... Inter- I didn't particularly enjoy the Snack Lunch Bunch, but I think uh-huh. that it leads to creative energy that's brilliant, usually. Yeah, it was one of, that was one of those moves where I'm like, oh, okay, good for you, doing it as quickly as you can. <laughs> like, it, you take the blank check and run with it if you can. Like, if they're going to give it to you, make whatever weird fucking thing you want to. Like, mm-hmm. we all want to make weird shit, and kind of the second you hit your peak, you're like, oh, what else can I do now? That is nature. Like, we are just naturally, we want to find the next thing. Even mm-hmm. if we are, even if, like, your, our core love is stand-up, if his core love is indeed stand-up, I'd love to talk to him about it. John, you're welcome on the show anytime. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. Um, I, I want. I always like towards the end to say, "Hey, why listen to this record?" In a couple sentences, and you're not. You're not. Uh, you don't have to be kept to two sentences, but roughly a couple sentences. Uh, why listen and listen to Lyndon Johnson's Only Hearts Club Band? I think it's a good. It's a good record. Mm-hmm. It gives you a sense of historical context to what's happening now. That is brilliant. Like it lets you laugh at politicians of the past and politicians that are now because they're all just human and valuable and they say funny things and which are funnier when taken out of context perfect it's perfect yeah. absolutely right i uh 
this has been a great episode. Holy cow. Uh, you, you are delightful to talk to, and I love getting context, and I hate researching stuff I'm not necessarily interested in. So you do all the work for me. I don't know if all of that's correct. You gave it's me, again, sleeve. more than I would have gotten on my own. You don't understand. It might all be wrong. What if I it's all just wrong? just have made up history. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I love that yeah. idea. Um, <laughs> here, here's uh, what I would like you to do. Tell people um, where they can find your writing, if you're on Twitter, anything, uh, anything coming up. This is going to be out in quite some time, a few weeks, but um, tell people where yeah. they can find you. Um, I don't have a Twitter because I don't think my thoughts are important enough to You're not a glutton for punishment. Come on. You're, yeah, you're, you're being just, smart. That's insane. But um, you can read my writing on theobserver.com, which is the Notre Dame St. Mary's Holy Cross tri-campus newspaper. Mm-hmm. We're independent of the institution, which allows us to, I don't know. Be independent and student run there's no adults in the office awesome <laughs> so Love. we're there until 6 a.m <laughs> wow. but um you can read my book there and i'm currently writing for the um shepherd express here in town but it's all news writing so i don't know how interesting it will be wow i mean i'm sure it'll be good uh it's coming from your brain so it's, it's nice to have somebody <laughs> on here who you know uh, talks about something other than comedy, but also talks about comedy in a smart way, in a new way. I, I, I really appreciate you talking to me. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, well, thank you. I learned a lot from you, too. Like, it's oh, fun. Comedy is not a major, huge, ginormous part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty big, but it's not... I wouldn't say it in my little intro in class. Sure. So I liked talking about it and you've got a very specific angle on it and i think that helps i think that helps a lot you know as people who are comedy experts experts eventually realize they have to pick a thing that they are particularly in love with about comedy in order to write something intelligent because you have to concentrate it's it's hard like that's why the only thing i i picked was vinyl for now you know i'm like at the very least i can explore and people can tell me more about it than i already knew and that happens so often um yeah yeah What's your favorite part of listening to comedy specifically on vinyl? If it's, you know, my absolute love is sketch comedy. So if it's a really well-produced sketch album, just uh, I rarely get to sit and close my eyes and listen. But when I can, if it's something that sucks me in and the sound effects and the music and the mixing and everything is perfect and the stereo is great, like living in that world for 45 minutes is just beautiful and perfect for me. And same goes with some stand-up. Some stand-up is really well-mixed and brings you to into a world. I would put Steve Martin in there because it's so absurd. You know, <laughs> it's just escape, pure escape, but that makes you giggle, you know. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I think that's it. But like really well mixed sketch is my favorite thing. And like my own, that's my goal and stuff I make too is, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a ton of work. It's a pain in the yeah. ass. Yeah. I can imagine like why that would be your favorite because there is so much thought into it. Yeah. I haven't, I don't, I've never listened to a sketch album. Oh my God. I should. There's Maybe so that would be what recommend. I'll look up to. There's so many yeah. things to recommend to you. Holy shit. Okay. I will think on it and recommend a few from like a few of the best groups. And then I will also write disclaimers about, hey, this part fucking sucks because it's racist. Every once in a while, something pops in and I'm like, okay, I'll just skip that track. Thanks so much. That's so interesting. Like, how do you, you how do you handle that like on the podcast and like just in like, I try when and listening address to it. comedy? I yeah. try and address it. If the person is not as willing to discuss it, uh, I'm not proud of this, but I'll just move on without saying my own thoughts. But I, I try and make it clear. Like, I mean, a few things, too. Like, I will no longer discuss Cosby or Woody Allen or Louis C.K. Luckily, he never came up. I'm not going to discuss creeps on the show because I do think it affects their comedy. A creep made that comedy, people. Like, it's something you got to realize. You can listen to it if you want. Go ahead. That's fine. You know, some people do. But if that kind of stuff comes up, I'm not a fan of saying, oh, it was a different time. So, yeah, no shit, it was a different time. It was also a terrible thing to say because it was dehumanizing. So I try and address it as much as I can. If I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about a record and it was somehow my choice, I have to be like, you know, hey, this is something I didn't notice as a kid if I happen to listen to it as a kid. And we address it. We'll talk about it. And even if it's just a, ooh, that was gross. Uh, and moving on, you at least have to acknowledge that what you're listening to is has some bad shit. Like, these are imperfect, um, even if they're not. Even if they're quote unquote well-meaning, which usually they're not, um, yeah, it's not it's not easy because um, I just don't want to get in a fight with my guests. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if one of them doesn't realize it or is doing making excuses, uh, I wish I was a little braver in standing up for it. Sometimes I try. You know, it's 
easier when it's just me on camera or on mic just talking about something I like or hate you know it's like so hard and I think like it's happening in every sphere like music Mm -hmm. and writing and anything like I have a friend who is a big fan of um Woody Allen Mm -hmm. and I just like sometimes like she and sometimes I just like I'm just like I don't understand Mm -hmm. but it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like one of the hardest things is to like accept that an artist you like grew up with, art might be tampered by, like just grossness. Yeah, and I mean, I I grew up yeah. wishing Bill Cosby was my other dad. Uh, I grew up thinking Woody Allen was the ultimate comedy writer, and he did write perfect jokes. Bill Cosby told perfect jokes. But I the reason I reanalyze it is I go back and you're like, okay. People are like, you have to separate the art from the artist. I'm like, if you want to do that, that's your thing. But to me, I'd rather think about it more deeply than you are. And my thought process is like, well, a creep definitely wrote this. Like I said, like there's something in that person in there. If it's not, then it's not art. If you didn't put some of yourself Mm -hmm. in there, it's not art. And if you put some of yourself in there, a portion of that is still the person who did creepy, awful shit. Um... And, you know, whatever your reasons are, you know, whatever excuse you come up with, which there's no good excuse for any of that shit. So I, at the very least, have to look at it in that perspective. And I'm not going to discuss it at length on a podcast. I might think about it, you know, a lot, but I don't have to sit and talk about it with somebody and pretend it never happened. That, that's my big thing. A lot of people, I think, want to just move on denying that these things happen to people. And it's like, wait a minute, there are lives ruined here. Can we think about it that way? Yeah. And... Like, and I think that, like, those artists that you named are, like, inherently different than, like, artists who made racist jokes in the 50s. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, completely different. And I think that if you, like, when your sketch comedy record that you love comes by Mm -hmm. a racist sketch, I think you can denounce that differently because, Mm -hmm. like... It's a historical thing. I think that that's what's so interesting about listening. That's one of the things that listening to comedy on vinyl is so important because it can't be edited. It exists in the form it is. Like someone can sit there and scratch it out if they really want. (laughs) But (laughs) like it exists as a historical document in a way that like comedy on YouTube doesn't. Like like, if someone makes a joke now and... Mm. Like, John Mulaney. John Mulaney might be embarrassed of his TV show Mulaney, and that's, he has nothing to be embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. Like, it's completely... <laughs> it's a gem. <laughs> but, um, and I know that, and I make fun of it because in his stand-up... Like, the stand-up special I went to go see, he made fun of it. He yeah. told a long story about making fun of it. And so, I... Um, but he can get it deleted. Like, he yeah, can sure. copyright everything off the internet and off of Spotify and just get rid of it and i think when artists put out records in the 50s like when van meter had to call off the second first family because mm-hmm. john kennedy and they bought back the copies right yeah, they yeah. have them now and they can destroy them yeah and then it can never exist mm-hmm. and i think that like that physical form is so important but sorry yeah. i'm you're trying to end the podcast no 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 you're fine please this is a good discussion and i'm glad you asked it because um there are a lot of times when this stuff comes up and it's awkward and uncomfortable and i want to cut it out because frankly i'm afraid i'm going to get a lot of shit from a bunch of um anti-pc people and the the thing is like i don't think most of these people really listen to my show anymore i think the people who listen to my show know who i am um and you know and i i and i uh yeah so it's it's actually it's it's good it's it's a nice uh, breath of fresh air to talk about and that that stuff is it is a historical record. Um, it would be weird to deny that those things were ever said. You can discuss them, though. You know, like it's it's mm-hmm. worth discussing, even if again, like I say, if it's saying, "Oh, that was racist. That sucks. Let's move on." Like you know, just addressing the fact that it's racist and you acknowledge that, and you can see if the rest of it happens to be worth it. I will tell you, there are some records where it's not worth it, but there are some where it's like, "Oh, this was a shitty misstep," and uh, I, uh, you know, there are a few I might, if I get some of these people on my podcast, I might ask them about it. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I'm like, I'm not going to do this, but you know, it, you're, you're curious. Like where, where is your brain now? Do you still feel the same way? Like, you know, you want to know. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I would love to have you back. Uh, no pressure, but you, you were a great guest and maybe we'll pick some stuff. Uh, I will definitely send you some recommendations if you're up for it because uh, okay. there's some good stuff. I would love stuff. that. All right. I love awesome. recommendations. I want to thank still you. Please my opinions yeah good so good. i love that it's, yeah it's, it's, i it's love a, recommendations and you feel free to hate it all i don't care i i just want you to have <laughs> the option to to hate them or like them um 
Everybody, thank you for listening. Check out the Professional Blur podcast, which by the time this comes out should still be in its second season. That is about my work as an extra in movies and TV. So uh, please check that out. Uh, it's StolenDress.com. Thank you all for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!